Previously on the Messengers podcast, we had started the story of Sean Smith, a professional musician, now missionary, who podcasts from Guatemala. He had asked executive producer Chris Kremitzos if he could bring the documentary film crew to Guatemala to film Sean doing his podcast from Guatemala. There was a very, very small window of time to fit through. Executive producer Chris Kremitzos got Sean on a phone call. We jumped on a call and he said, we're going to make this work somehow. Uh, Neil's in L.A. right now, but uh, filming Danny Pena, actually. He said, we're going to make this work. The guys really want to do it. I want to make this happen. Let's do it. And I thought, okay, they're going to come for a day, which would be amazing. They came for five days and we were able to capture some amazing footage. The drone got through customs. We're all worried, is the drone going to get through customs? You know, this is a developing country. You just never know. He walked right through with this giant smile on his face. And he and Sala were like kids on Christmas morning. It was awesome. (laughs) Welcome to episode three of the Messengers podcast. I'm your host, Dave Jackson from the school of podcasting.com. This podcast gives you a behind-the-scenes glimpse of the making of the documentary movie, The Messengers. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I strongly encourage you to go to themessengersdoc.com slash podcast and check out the two previous episodes as well as subscribe in iTunes. This week, we're going to get the -the behind-the-scenes stories of Guatemala. Filming the shoot as well as the nuances of filming in a poverty-stricken country. And how do you get the story while maintaining the dignity of your subjects? But before we get to the trip, last week we met Sean Smith. How did Sean end up in Guatemala? He had participated in a mission trip to India, but he admits himself he didn't see himself as a missionary. At the time, Dave, I was a... Christian musician, actually full-time Christian musician, touring youth gatherings and concerts at churches. And so I was in front of literally tens of thousands of people every year who really wanted to do something about helping children living in extreme poverty, but they just didn't have a path, a trusted face or something to do. I was talking about India that week and this lady came up to me after my talk and she said, you know, I work with children, actually orphans in Guatemala. And since you're a missionary, I was wondering if you could help me put together a mission to Guatemala. And I'm, you know, after my first question of where's Guatemala, my second question was, um, I'm not exactly a missionary. Like, I mean, I've been on a mission, but I don't know how to put a mission together. Like I know nothing about this. And she said, I I kid you not hand to God. She said, would you please pray about it? You know, and I'm like, oh, I did. I called her back three weeks later and I said, I think I'm supposed to go to Guatemala. And uh, she said, great. Me and my family are going over Christmas break. So that first year I had 53 people uh, say, "Okay, I'll go with you. And so it's been this unbelievable journey from this person who never wanted to go. I never dreamed of going, but I just uh, couldn't sleep at night after someone asked, can you help? Now, in episode two, we learned how Sean had become a mobile pro recording expert. And when you connect with Sean, you kind of never know what you're going to get. So are, I'm assuming that you are at, in Guatemala as we speak. I am. I'm actually in a closet at a hotel room in Guatemala. 
<laughs> and uh, it's this funky, uh, there's not a whole lot of clothes here because we're obviously living out of a suitcase. So um, everything that I'm speaking to you on right now fit in my backpack and went through customs without any problem here in Guatemala. If you've listened to the previous two episodes, you see where these messengers are always coming up with another idea. So John Dennis and I have been friends for several years now. I'm John Dennis. John Dennis manages the Podcasters Hangout, the largest Facebook group dedicated to podcasting. And we met through podcasting. We actually live close by in South Florida, and I'm blessed to be able to hang out and meet with him and Paul um, on a pretty regular basis. Well, after Salo and Neil and Chris said, yes, they're coming, I said, man, it would be great to have John here. Not only is John a good friend, which I was thinking this would just be great to have another podcasting friend here with me uh, during this experience. But John had wanted to come down to the mission and check it out. And, uh, And John also happens to be a pilot and happens to also own the exact same drone that Neil owns. And I thought, Wow, you know, I know that the the drone was new to Neil and that uh, he and John had talked earlier about if, you know, if Neil ever needs kind of a tricky shot, that John would make himself available to help them get that shot if they were in Florida, for example. So I thought, look, this is nuts, but not any more nuts than asking a film crew to come to Guatemala. So I might as well ask John, you know, <laughs> so in less than two weeks, no, I think a week and a half's notice. I sent an email to John and said, this is crazy, man. I know. And you're super busy. His business is growing like crazy and he's super busy. I said, is there any way you could come down for a day or two? And so he said, you know, these guys are heading down and uh, I would love it. I would be honored if you could come, come and help. You know, I had, it was, it, it was, it was this thing where everything that I had going on for the last couple of months, what's converging on this week. Nice. Oh man. And I, I, so I was like, Oh my gosh, I have so many things going on. Everything's just converging right now in business. Let me see what I can do. And I got off, um, Facebook. I, I left that conversation thinking there's no way, like there's just no way I'm going to be able to make time. And, and so I don't, I just started thinking about, um, Sean's name of his mission is now is the time we had, we had a conversation over lunch, uh, a couple months before this. And we're talking about how this, how his name came to fruition. And he was telling me at, at, at this lunch meeting, he said, you know, everyone's always telling me how, you know, it's just not a good time. There's so much going on. Kids are in school. They got all these after school programs and businesses, you know, this, and I've, I'm just, everything's so busy in life. And he looked at me and said, the thing is, is it's never a good time. And this conversation, as soon as I, 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 I ended that Facebook conversation, we kind of hung up <laughs> um, on the internet with each other. I started thinking about the conversation we had over lunch a few months back. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to really try hard to make this happen. So I started contacting some of my clients who I had some obligations to, to be fulfilled that week. Started letting them know. And they were super supportive of it. And it happened. So the crew arrived in Guatemala. Neil shares his first impressions. 
So when I get there, he says, we'll be right there with a sign, you can't miss us. So when we walked out, there was nobody there. Now the weather was gorgeous. It was like California, like 69 degrees at night, beautiful. And uh, we're out there for a while. Everyone's asking us, do you want to make a phone call? Do you want to make a phone call? Do you want to ride? And it started to get thicker and thicker. I see nobody waiting for us. There's no sign for us. And I started to get nervous because a good while went by and it was starting to get rainy. But it was kind of scary just because outside of the barricade, you also see the uh, armed people with shotguns. And uh, I had read online on the USNBC page to be careful because the people who check your bags call the people outside and tell them to rob you because they know it's in your bag. So they were like, don't walk past the barricade without your whoever's there to pick you up. And I thought we were going to have to walk past the barricade and ask the bus driver how to get to Sean. And all of a sudden I hear someone whistle and it was John Dennis and stuff. And they had a sign that said, uh, oh, oh, for you, the sign said award-winning filmmakers. And the other one for John said uh, genius marketer. One way to avoid standing out was to ride the chicken bus. The chicken bus is a bus in Guatemala that has music, lots of stickers, American cartoons all over the ceiling, and a lot of Jesus uh, memorabilia. And they play, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all over the Virgin Mary, all this stuff. And they're playing live music, and it's really like a local's taxi, but it's a giant bus. And the reason that Sean has the missionaries ride on these buses is because it's very um, unassuming, and people that were to want to rob you, they won't look for an American on the chicken bus because it's mainly written by locals and people that don't have much money. So it's like great camouflage. Most missions, when you, when you get there, you see these beautiful RVs that they rented or really expensive looking buses and they're the first ones that get targets. So we rode that bus to sort of just be, look like we're part of the tapestry of where we are. Did you guys have to um, drive up like some mountains that didn't have like any guardrails? Oh my rails? God, yeah, not only that, but the buses can barely go up these and the guys run the buses so close to the edge of the, of the ravines. I also saw a guy with a motorcycle hit the ravine and um, like literally hit the ravine as we were going to the airport. And I was like, aren't we gonna stop to help this guy? But there was already some other dude pulling over with a light, you know? Kind of like Chris's story where the other guy went outside. So if you hit this ravine, like how far of a drop are oh, we Oh, you're on a mountain. About? I think Sean said it was 7,000 feet elevation. Like we're up there. Yeah. Um, the buses can hardly go up the hills. Um, but uh, it was beautiful, man. Really cool experience to see the music and everything. And the drivers, they look like bodyguards. They're, they get robbed very frequently, according to Sean. So Watch out. Vehicles stop Just neat. I don't know. Was, uh, even though that little bit of threat and fear kind of made it fun. You know, like, I hate to say, a little bit of excitement in the so, unknown, maybe? But this would be different than shooting Danny Pena at a gamer convention or Glenn the Geek on his ranch. This is filming people living in poverty. You turn, you just go and turn on the water in your house and you, you put your glass under it and you take a drink. That's impossible for the families we're serving here. They don't even have running water. They have to hike um, half mile to two miles to get water and it's not pure. Then they have to boil it. And to not walk into a home filled with smoke because it rains five months out of the year and they have to cook over an open fire, not even gas or electricity. It's literally a campfire in the middle of their room. I got there. The first day was weird because I was processing everything. I, I was taking it all in and I was looking around. And I was thinking, geez, is this really a place like, I, you know, people really live like this. It feels like we're back 100 years. You know, someplace had electricity, but no one had running water. And I, you know, it was just surreal. You know, we, we went to this one woman's house who she was in her seventies, must've been in her seventies. 
and um, we arrived and she was so grateful and happy to see the team who was putting themselves arrive. And uh, she introduced us to her mother who must've been like in her nineties. She was just this feeble old woman and she was blind. This woman told a story about how her mother was blind because of the smoke that would billow up in their home because of these open flame sort of things that they had to cook over. And all of the soot and the ash would get in your eye. And over time, women would go blind. Typically, volunteers go through extensive training. We didn't have time for that. Here's Sean. But I sat uh, Neil and Salo down before we went out to the village. And I said, I need to share something with you. I said, it's really important for us to preserve their dignity. No matter what we do today, the most important thing that we do is to preserve their dignity. So if you feel like it's uncomfortable, uh, if you get the sense that uh, the cameras or filming the audio, anything is making people uncomfortable, we're just going to set everything down and we'll get another shot some other time. It's not worth hurting them in any way, shape or form or making them feel uncomfortable. The amazing thing about Neil and Salo was that they both speak Spanish. (laughs) And so they were able to actually interview some of the people that we were serving in their native language, which, you know, I'm just, uh, I got goosebumps here just talking about this. And uh, it was so emotional for me because I speak Spanish, but not, I'm not a native speaker like they are. And they were able to fluently and compassionately, sensitively, ask questions like, how does it feel to receive this new stove today or this new concrete floor or these new shoes for your child? And they were able to do it in a way that made the family members feel very comfortable and not intrusive and above all to preserve their dignity. Not only were they there just filming, they were checked in. You know, they were fully immersed. They were committed, not just to, to these beautiful shots. They were committed to the entire experience. So, you know, we're out there and visiting this, these different locations to, to, to get, you know, some of this footage for, you know, whether it was for putting in stoves or installing these chimneys or laying these, you know, uh, cement floors, um, serving some of these children with some of the donations and giving them outfits and shoes to wear, uh, you know, participating in the VBS, the, the vacation Bible study stuff. And, um, you know, they were there every step of the way. You know, they were, they participated fully, which was really cool because, you know, a lot of filmmakers, they're like, yeah, we'll get the shot and then we're heading back to the hotel and we're going to, we're going to veg out, um, get ready for tomorrow. But they would participate fully and they had their cameras rolling like at every minute so to make sure that they weren't going to miss anything. And then when the cameras were off and they were back in their room, they didn't like, pop them open and pull out an SD card and like geek out over what the footage. I mean, we did that. We did that later on at night, but no, they put their cameras back and then they participate in everything else that was going on. You know, whether uh, it was worship or, or dinner or some sort of discussion that we were having as a group up on the terrace of the hotel. I mean, they were there, they were there, they were there the whole time. Got to give those guys credit for that because, um, not only were they again, committed to the, to the shots of the footage and everything, but also to the entire experience. And, uh, I've just never seen filmmakers do that before. 
So what was a typical day like in Guatemala? Let's see. When we arrived, Neil and Salo arrived at night. So they got to the hotel about 11 o'clock at night. And I said, you know, I said, you guys said you wanted to really see what we do with the mission. And I got to warn you, we get up pretty early because if the rain comes, it's going to come about three o'clock. This is the rainy season. And so we try and get, you know, a day's worth of work done before that. So I said, breakfast is at six, bus leaves at 630 sharp on the dot and uh and we won't get back here till about five o'clock you know is that really what you guys want to do and they're like yeah we're all in yeah yeah yeah. so they did now of course you know they're all excited so they spend half the night talking so they get like two three hours sleep maybe <laughs> so but sure enough breakfast six six o'clock they roll into the dining hall very blurry eyed but excited you know just pumped up on adrenaline and uh, they went and got their gear. We jumped in the pickup and uh, we went to the first house. So we're on site at 7 a.m. and uh, walked down to the, the first site. And I said, uh, so this is called Buena Vista, a beautiful view. But that means the reason it's so beautiful is because it's on this mountain. And to get to the homes, we have to do a little hiking. And like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, we're here. We're here. You know, let's do this thing. And these guys are doers. I mean, they truly, I think as Neil says, doers do. So the first house, we first went downhill. Uh, it's a really intense hill. I mean, a hill where you almost have to hold, you know, put a hand down in order to steady yourself. It's that steep. We walk down that hill. We walk along the ridge of the top of another hill. And then we have to walk, hike up a hill. Uh, and this is all dirt. And I mean, you're literally grasping onto tree, small trees to pull yourself up. I mean, it's slippery. It had just rained the night before. And these guys are hiking up. I go first and <laughs> I look back down and they're just like panic stricken. Like, what did we get ourselves into? I mean, the look on their faces were just like, where is he taking us and how are we going to get back? And so we get up, they take their shots, do amazing shots. and. uh I said, okay, you guys ready for the next house? And they're like, so it's Neil, especially. He's like, we got to do that hill again? I said, no, not that hill. We'll do another hill. He's like, this is going to be a day of hills, right? And I said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's like, all right, man, I lost 87 pounds this past year. My wife is going to love this, but, uh, you know, this, this is, uh, this is not what I signed up for. This was not in the brochure. You know that, right? And I said, <laughs> Now, we've known all along that filmmaker Salo Zayas is a great filmmaker. He's a great editor. We had no idea he was a track star. So in Guatemala, like many developing countries, there are these small personal taxis called tuk-tuks. It's a little motorcycle that will seat three people in the back, and it's got a metal uh, covering with a canvas top. And I missed on photos. I missed it on videos. So we're filming the drone. I yelled at Neil down the road, Neil, hit record, because it was coming down the road. He screams for me to record, and he starts to run after a tuk-tuk. Well, takes off running, like, I mean, like, 90 to nothing, like he's the road runner. And let me tell you, Salo can run, okay? I thought he was going to eat it on the cobblestone floor, okay? Um, <laughs> and I, I, I damn near fell. I was not expecting to actually uh, film that without falling. I was uh, lucky I didn't, but... 
behind this tutun in the sky you could see him looking back he started said he's looking back like freaked out like what is this guy doing what is this guy holding now the tuk-tuk driver has never seen a drone before i'm sure of it i had never seen one of these things up close until a couple weeks ago and so that was just one of many many moments that these guys will go to the ends of the earth extremes to get the right shot even if they think the guy's going to get out and uh <laughs> defend himself you know? <laughs> Well, chasing tuk-tuks will have you working up quite an appetite. What was the food like? You know, we're Americans. We're used to pretty much being able to eat whatever we want, whenever we want, any time during the day. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're working. I mean, we're not, we're not laboring every single minute of the day or anything, but we're out working, you know. And I'm used to sitting in an office all day. And Neil's sitting in front of a computer editing stuff all day. And so, you know, this is a pretty active experience. We're, we're out there and we're actively shooting. We're actively involved. We're actively participating. And so with all this activity, you know, you get a little more hungrier than you normally do. So, uh, you know, breakfast is cool because breakfast, you get this big buffet. What's not a big buffet, but you've got some choices. You got some fruit, you got eggs, you got this, this black bean sort of, um, like these almost like refried beans, but not they're homemade. It's delicious. And then you get out and you start working and by, by 12 o'clock, you're starving. I mean, you're hungry. You know, we're eating breakfast at six in the morning and uh, little and, and the hotel was preparing our meals for us. And they slapped this one tiny little piece of protein on this big, thick bread because down in Guatemala, bread is the staple. That's what everyone's used to having. And Americans, we're, we're, we load our, you know, we eat these big subs and we're just, we're piling meats and cheeses and all these toppings on it. And that's how we eat our sandwiches. Down there, bread is the, like the main thing. And so, you know, we have a decent meal. I mean, it's not, it's not that it's um, scarce or anything. It's a good meal. I mean, there's some sides and we got fruit and everything. And we get back, um, so we so we eat lunch, and we get back, and we have dinner, and uh, and dinner, you know, you're, you're served a portion. You're, you're you you know, we're all sitting around these tables, and it's great because we're all back. We're all most of us have showered up before dinner. We're refreshed, and and we're we're sort of sharing the stories of the day with one another, and uh, and and me, me, your meal is delivered to you and right in front of you, you know, and um, and oftentimes these are smaller portions than you're used to. <laughs> You know, so Neil and I, we look at each other and Neil looks at me, he's like, bro, I could eat like four more of these. And I looked at him, I was like, I could too, man. <laughs> and we're actually sitting there thinking about like, oh, do we ask him? Can we ask him? If we, like, do we go and, and say like, hey, do we get another portion, you know? And and so we didn't because, you know, the culture is that, you know, this is what you're, you know, it's, it's you don't eat heavy during the, the uh, during the dinner time, you know? And so, uh, but it was a little bit of, of an adjustment for us because we're big guys, you know, we, we eat. We're Americans, <laughs> and we're we were participating in these active, you know, things throughout the day, and um, it was just a wonderful experience. It culturally is different, and so there's a lot of those those cultural differences, those those sort of stark contrasts, and that was one of them. And uh, we have dinner at six. Worship, uh, we worship as a community together at seven. Uh, eight o'clock, we have small groups. We break into a leader team group meeting. And then people are usually in bed by nine because it's just an exhausting day. So after it was all over, how did the people feel about being filmed? People felt incredibly honored to be filmed and that the filmmakers would feel, feel that this story is an important enough story to be included in the film. It was a very humbling feeling. 
and very hopeful feeling that uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, if more people would feel inspired to come serve right. in a developing country someplace. So, so at the end of an exhausting day, Neil and Salo didn't go to sleep. No, they were cataloging all the video that they had shot. So it was ten fifteen at night, and Neil came down off the roof, which is where they did all of their editing. They just loved it up there because you see three volcanoes and one of them's active. So they, they just watched that thing all night long. So Neil came down, it was about 10, 15 at night. And he said, Sean, he said, do you think that some of the team members would like to see, you know, some of the footage that we shot today? And I said, well, I'm sure they would, but they're probably in bed. I mean, it's pretty late. And he's like, yeah. He said, okay, well, that's fine. I said, well, let me ask, you know, I'll just put the word out and, you know, let's use the plasma. We've got this giant plasma in the conference room. He's like, all right, I'll meet you there. So I shared with a couple of our leaders who were still awake. I said, uh, spread the word. Neil wants to show some of the footage. If anybody's interested, it's not, you know, requirement if anybody's interested. Five minutes later, all 38 team members were sitting in that conference room. They could not wait to see because, you know, we just heard about this two weeks earlier and now they were coming. And and so you could have heard a pin drop when he was showing the drone footage. It was just absolutely spectacular. Uh, One of our team members was sitting right in front of me during the viewing and she turned around with tears in her eyes and she said, Sean, this is going to change lives. Mm. And she's right, uh, Dave. I think this is going to truly change lives. We've heard a lot about Salo and Neil in this episode. And you might be wondering, what was the motivation behind these two filmmakers to get up and operate and work on almost zero sleep? These last two stories answer that question. But this is something that really moved me about Neil and Salo. So... As you know, Neil and Salo come from Hispanic backgrounds. So Salo, his parents were born in Cuba. I think Salo was born in Cuba and came to this country at a very young age. Neil was born and raised in Venezuela and came when he was very, very young from Venezuela. So not only do these guys both speak Spanish fluently, but they also have an appreciation for the culture because this is really where their parents came from, from developing countries in Latin America. And so the end of our first day, you know, these ki- these guys were like kids on Christmas morning. They were so excited. Oh, dude, look at that volcano. Oh, my gosh. Look at that lady carrying that thing on her head. I mean, these were amazing shots that they could not get in the U.S., which is one of the reasons I wanted to invite them here, because I knew it would really add to the film, the textures and the culture that you just, it's not the U.S., right? So they were just, just like screaming girls all day. I mean, just like so excited. Oh, I got this shot. Oh, dude, look at this. And they'd be showing each other on their cameras. I'm driving around driving them around in the pickup. They're in the back seat. John Dennis and I are in the front seat. And I'm, I'm, trying to stay on the road because I'm watching them through the rear view mirror, uh, just sharing all this excitement and enthusiasm about this experience. And it was towards the end of the day. And then it got quiet, just absolutely silent. And I kind of look in the back, I look through the rear view mirror and I'm thinking they've, they finally crashed, you know, the adrenaline's worn off. They're sleeping like babies and they're both just staring out the window. And I said, uh, 
wow, it's really quiet back there. And Neil said, yeah. And Sella said, yeah. I said, you guys okay? And Neil said, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He said, uh, well, I don't know what Salo is thinking, but he said, you know, we just passed that outdoor market. And he said, uh, he said, it just reminded me of the stories that my parents used to talk about in Venezuela. And Salo said, dude, I was thinking the same thing. He said, really? He said, yeah. Salo said, I don't know if you know, Neil, but he said, my mom used to make shoes in Cuba. She used to make shoes and sell them in the market. And I was thinking that could have been my mom. That could have been me. Those kids with their moms selling stuff in the street, that could have been me. But our parents came to the U.S. to give us a better life. And uh, how blessed are we? And Neil agreed. He said, dude, we are just so incredibly blessed. They had this very personal experience with just coming here, with just being in Guatemala, it touched their heart in a way I could never anticipate. I mean, I had no idea, but I'd seen this before time and time again. And it was my hope and prayer that this experience could touch them so that they could share this experience with others through the film. And I really believe that's going to happen because that was day one. And Man. even though they were dead but tired the next day they got up the next day at six and the next day at six and went all day and all night with everything they had just full on out 100 percent to capture this story and share this message and so i i i've told people i said you are so blessed to have these messengers be the messengers of the messengers the filmmakers these filmmakers because they have huge hearts and they're going to tell an amazing story that is going to inspire millions. There was one other story, one other moment that touched everyone around it, everyone who saw it, and especially Neil, who started off filming it. So we got to one of these homes and it was an elderly woman. She was a widow. She had lost her husband. She didn't have her children living nearby. And she had this, this shack of a, of a kitchen where it was just absolutely pitch black on the inside from smoke, you know, for years and years that had filled this room and filled her lungs and her eyes. And, uh, and so we were there to install a stove. Uh, she started talking to Neil and they were, they were speaking in Spanish, but I, I, I remember panning left and I, and I looking up this little hill and I saw Neil and he was locked into this woman. They were speaking again in Spanish, and but they were just locked in conversation. I could see in her eyes that there was something that she wanted to tell me. Like, I wanted to interview her and ask her simply just, how do you feel getting this stove? How do you feel that someone in the world cares about you and is here to help you? But I could tell she knew I knew Spanish. The rest of the crew really didn't. Uh, Sean speaks it very well, but she could tell that I was, you know, Latino and that I would be able to maybe hear her plight, maybe, maybe be a, a shoulder to, to talk to. And so as I interviewed her, you know, her eyes watered up and I'm, and I'm looking at her through my, uh, my viewfinder and, uh, you know, I can't help but get a little choked up. Um, 
because she stared at me for a long time and it was a, um, it was like she was seeing right through me, but I was seeing her through a viewfinder in a bit of an impersonal way. And then she tilted my camera down and she says to me in Spanish, I want you to make this movie and tell your story. Not because I want a stove, um, not because I want charity, but because I want the cavalry to come and save my grandson. And you know Spanish. And so please, mijo, tell the, our story so people will help us. So he won't die in this, you know, home. And so that well beyond this stove, they'll just help him have a better life. And as she said that to me, she gave me a hug and a kiss. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know if I could help her at all. And I'm still affected by that. I've been back over two weeks and I'm so honored to tell her story. So honored to direct this movie. And I beg of my crew and uh, Chris to help me deliver the message for the world. Not, not to go to Guatemala and, and help the poor and go for your little week and then go back to your immensely blessed lives. But uh, to care about everybody else in the world that's living like she is. And, uh, you know, I haven't really let it go until now. And uh, the way she looked at me. And so the other day I was looking at the footage and when I watched it, it was, it took me right to that second. It literally felt like I was looking right at her again. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just honored. And, uh, and this movie has changed me. And I realized that my daughter has it way too good. And I haven't complained since I got home about not having fresh water or worrying that someone will come and rob me because I don't have doors in my home. And I just want the cavalry to help her. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Mm. All right, that's it. This episode featured commentary from John Dennis, who runs the Podcasters Hangout, the largest Facebook group dedicated to podcasting, our awesome filmmakers, Neil Galarte and Salo Zayas, and Sean Smith from nowisthetimeformissions.com. If you would like to help us finish this film, please visit right now. Go to supportthemessengers.com and donate any amount you can. I'm Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting asking you, what's your message? Your message.